0: This episode of SFF Yeah! is sponsored in part by Book Riot. Ever walked by a shelf in your local bookstore full of books wrapped in brown paper? They're Blind Dates with Books, where you buy a book without knowing the title, the cover, or the author, and it's a great way to discover new books you might never have picked up for yourself. We're giving away 5 Blind Dates with Books. Executive editor Amanda Nelson will take a trip to her local Indian Richmond called Chop Suey and pick five at random off their shelves to mail to five random winners. To enter to win your own blind date with a book, go to bookriot.com slash blind date and sign up for our upcoming Read This Book newsletter, where we'll send you a single solitary book recommendation once per week. That's bookriot.com. Slash Blind Date to enter, or go see if your local indie participates with their own Blind Date shelves. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode sixty-four, and we're recording on October fourth. I'm Sharifa Williams, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today we're talking about. Second books in series, with thanks to listener Tanya for the idea. Thank you, Tanya. (laughs) I was really, this kind of like lit the fire under me because I am, as I've mentioned on this show multiple times, not great at uh, reading a full series. Like, I'm so distracted by the new book and the new series that it can be sometimes hard for me to return. But... This was actually a really great exercise. I don't know how, how it worked out for you.
1: Yeah, I already had a couple in mind and then I was like, "Oh shoot, I've had a book 2 in a series sitting on my TBR for like 2 months, so now is the time <laughs> to dig that out." So, so it was a little bit of both for me. I can be I think I think what I tend to do is when book 3 is out, then I go back and I read 2 and 3 sort of like all oh, at yeah. once. Um, so I, the third book is usually my reminder that like, oh, right, I need to read book two. But this was a nice, this was a nice, like, yeah, push, as you said, for one series (laughs) in particular. That's awesome. Well, we'll
0: talk about those picks and our news but first, we have to talk about our sponsor.
1: Yes, and speaking of series, mm. the fourth and final book in the Blockbuster Legend series is now out. It's Rebel by Marie Lou from Fierce Reads. And this is very exciting if you are a Marie Lu fan, which I think many of y'all are. I know I am. And fans have been hoping and asking and waiting for another legend book. And it's finally here. Apparently, Marie did not plan to write another book in the series, but then an idea wouldn't let her go. And she knew there was more story to tell, which is awesome. So the new book, Rebel, reunites us with our favorite characters on a totally unexpected and thrilling adventure. And there's not a lot of specific details because, like, this is book four in a series. Like, any detail is going (laughs) to be a spoiler for the previous book. But they are calling this a grand finale, so probably not going to be more. And uh, Entertainment Weekly has called the series an epic romantic saga. And then Tahereh Mafi, who I'm sure many of you know her name, she's the best-selling author of The Shatter Me, series said that rebel is a masterful feat written by a powerhouse author marie lu is magic which is awesome so if you have been waiting or if you have just needed like many of us a reminder Mm -hmm. that you should be reading this series here you go again that's rebel by marie lu and that is with fierce reads thank you so much
0: that's so awesome i love marie lu so excited So for my first news story, I decided to kind of combine two casting stories into one because we've been getting so much adaptation and casting news lately. So I just kind of chose my personal favorites. And the first one is one we've been talking about a little bit before in previous episodes where we learned that Leigh Bardugo's Uh, Grishaverse is going to be adapted and I say Grishaverse not one specific book because this is going to be an eight series show that's going to be it looks like the plot is going to be split evenly between the plots of Shadow and Bone and Six of Crows so it's a two-in-one sort of thing which I found interesting from the jump when we first heard about this news And then very recently, um, I think earlier this week, actually, the week that we're recording, we got the news of the cast photo. Leigh Bardugo revealed it on her Twitter, and everybody was as excited as you can imagine. And the interesting thing about this cast is that there are some fresh faces in here. There are some cast members that we've not really seen that much in other shows, so... We've got Ben Barnes as General Kerrigan, Kit Young as Jessica Fahey, Freddie Carter as Kaz Brecker, Jesse May Lee, Alina Starko, and Archie Renault. Esmal Oritsev, sorry, and Amita Suman in Eshkafa. So I looked at this and I was like, should I know these names? <laughs> like, because I didn't. <laughs> and sure enough, like a lot of them have been in smaller roles. So I'm kind of like, I think that's a great thing, um, especially for, you know, this really diverse cast of characters. This could be like their breaking moment to be in a show that is... Based on this super popular, super buzzy book, uh, I would be thrilled. If I was an actor, I'd be terrified and thrilled. So (laughs) I'm excited for all of them. And I'm really looking forward to see how they creatively tell these two different stories that are within the same universe. Um, So I don't know. I'm sure so many of you out there have. Read this series, but this is another one where I'm like, I have to get on top of reading the rest of the series.
1: (laughs) Same. This is a hole in my reading because, you know, especially because of my bookseller days, like, People already loved this, so I didn't Mm -hmm. need to work hard to recommend it. It was like, oh, you like fantasy? Here you go. (laughs) Like, I didn't have to do any work or, like, sell it really hard. Um, But Amanda is obsessed with these books and is always (laughs) talking about them on Get Booked. And, like, I've been meaning to read them forever. And, yeah, I'm trying to, like, I don't, I just don't know where to fit it in is always the problem. Like, there's so much reading to do all the time.
0: I would say also, like, I can totally understand that because I feel like now going into it, I would find it a little bit difficult just because there's so much conversation around Mm. it already. Like, sometimes I need to have a little bit of distance. I don't know if this applies to you. I'm placing my own experience on you, (laughs) but I need a little distance from the book. But there's just so much conversation about it. It can be like, oh, well, I've heard everything about it, so... But yeah. yeah, I don't
1: even know. You'll I don't get know. get to it. Like get the it. hype is years old on these at this point. Like it's been going yes. on for a while, um, which usually is a good sign, right? Like if the hype sustains itself for that long, it usually means that it's there for a reason and not just for some sure. flash in the pan. So I have no doubt that I will like them. <laughs> I just have to
0: get to them. One day. <laughs> One no day. No pressure. One day. Um, and then quickly, I'm going to talk about... The Craft reboot, this is like not a ton of, there's not a ton of news here really, but I just had to talk about it because it's Halloween season mm-hmm. and anything about witchiness is catching my eye. And I, as a high schooler, loved The Craft. Um, and so we've got casting news for that. And there are some really great actors in here. Um whose names I do not want to butcher. But the one that I was really excited about because I've been watching Pose lately is Zoe Luna is going to be in the cast of the movie as one of the main witches. And Zoe Luna is a trans-Latinx actor. Amazing. I I didn't even really notice the name until I really took a look at this and I saw Pose bolded and I was like, who from Pose? Who from Pose? <laughs> 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 so I am totally hyped about this and I feel like it's been long enough that I'm not going to be, I don't know, this is one of those adaptations where I don't feel like there's a lot of stakes because it's just sort of like, you know, fun and a little nostalgic. So I'm really excited to see this new coven, which is also very diverse and fabulous, so... Yes. Yeah,
1: I would agree. I the craft is one of those movies that's on my Halloween rewatch list, alongside like Hocus Pocus. Um, yeah, and they're very <laughs> different in tone, obviously. But oh, yeah, but yeah, but I, you know, there is something iconic about that original movie. For all it's like, there's certain moments I watch now that I'm like, ugh, like it's cringy. But for the most part, yeah, I still have a lot of fondness for it. And I also have been seeing that photos for the new cast and getting excited because it is great to see it be a more inclusive cast and yeah i i'm i'm looking forward to this one as well
0: yeah we'll see i uh i hope that they release it during like halloween season but they can really release it whenever i'm gonna watch it right it won't matter (laughs) (laughs)
1: oh well let's see so uh, my first pick for something to talk about here is sort of a recommended read. Um, it, NYCC, New York Comic Con, has is in full force at the moment as we record this. And I'm sure there will be a lot of announcements and things about it for for, for future shows uh, for discussion. But the thing that I saw this morning that made me so happy and interested was a recap on Tor.com about the mental health... Uh, in SFF and horror panel. So it included Sean Hamill, Lauren Shippen, Stephen Graham Jones, and Princess Weeks. And I was really delighted, first of all, to see that Stephen Graham Jones was on this panel because he's fantastic. And I've been following Princess Weeks' writing online a bunch, actually, over the years. Um, She's a great writer. Uh, She's an assistant editor at the Mary Sue. So I was like, ooh, uh, click, you know, very click. And Even though it's just a recap and they can't cover absolutely everything, there's some really interesting stuff in here about marginalization and mental health and horror in particular and those intersections Mm. and the way that media can you know explode those stereotypes or reinforce them and it was really it was there's some really interesting food for thought in here i wish like i don't often read these and be like oh i wish i had been there like usually i'm like yeah it's fine but this one i'm like oh i wish i had been in that audience i would have loved to have heard this conversation and the write-up is is very interesting um again also don't usually read write-ups like this and be like oh yeah this is worth you know talking about but no this one is worth talking about i definitely recommend if mental health is the thing you think about and if marginalization is the thing you think about like this is a this is a discussion that's super interesting and there's a there's some good stuff in here
0: yeah this is really great I think that it's fantastic that these conversations are happening more and we're really investigating how we write about different types of people and different situations and I think mental health is a big one Mm -hmm. and I thought it was interesting about like you know that there are things about the horror genre especially that are you know problematic that have been in the past and so I think that this is a great conversation to have and it always seems to you know move the ball forward in a genre and I hope that happens with this and I'm also going to look up experimental film which is one of the horror novels that was discussed in this conversation and in this article because I had never heard about it, but it sounds absolutely fascinating. So Yeah. yeah, this is fantastic. I'm glad you, you talked about this one.
1: I will also say that even though I'm a huge fan of Jeff Vandermeer's Area X books, I have avoided seeing the movie Annihilation because what I saw in the ramp up to it kind of like irritated me in various ways. Mm. But Lauren Shippen gave a reason to watch the movie Annihilation that is the most compelling thing I've heard about that movie to date. And so now I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I will actually have to watch that. Apparently it's a depiction depiction of depression that she really appreciated. And I'm like, oh, okay.
0: Like now I'm suddenly I'm much more interested in this. so I'll have to watch it. I I ended up stopping it, I think, a quarter of the way. Oh,
1: really? We haven't talked about that. Was it, what was it? Do, Do you mind
0: sharing I think it just wasn't generally reading very well Mm. to me like I Mm -hmm. felt like and also I was watching the movie before I had read the book and I was a little bit worried that I was not getting the best version of the story Mm -hmm. but I also went in a little bit biased because I had heard some things about it that were also making me feel a little bit like "Mm, do I really want to be watching this is it going to represent this book the way you know I I would see it as a reader so
1: yeah i think i mean all of those things i would say yes to <laughs> as as legit concerns and I'm trying to think of how I want to say this. What do I want to say? Like, I think that I also think it's very possible that I would watch that movie and not get the same thing that shipping got out of it. Like every right. No one person reads the same book or sees the same movie. Like we all have things that we bring to media that will highlight different pieces of it for ourselves so like our conversation about a book might be our read of that book might have been wildly different based on our own experiences right so I think it's possible that I might watch it and be like nope I didn't get that but I might you never know right so so I'm not saying that like objectively this is true of that movie it may just be that it spoke to her in a very specific way but I'm curious I guess what I'm saying is I'm curious to see if it speaks to me in that way as well
0: yeah, now we both have to watch it. I know.
1: Maybe we'll do another movie
0: episode. Oh, yeah. That Since Blade was fun. That was so much fun. I, you know, I am up for all right, watch. All right. all right. Well, the the next one I'm going to choose, the next news piece is another pretty brief one, but it is the announcement of a new post-apocalyptic series from m.r carey and i chose this because i have actually read a couple of m.r carey's books i am not necessarily someone who reads a lot of the same author's books except for very few uh people but i've read the girl with all the gifts and the boy on the bridge uh which are not related even though they sound very similar but m.r carey is coming in with what he does best which is write these sort of post-apocalyptic you know uh creepy stories and it sounds like this one is going to have that same feel so it's called uh the the book of koli and hopefully i'm pronouncing that right it's k-o-l-i and it's about this small village called mythin rude and there's this unrecognizable landscape outside its walls where Basically, there is this almost sounds very annihilation like Mm -hmm. like overgrown forests with choker trees and deadly seeds. So it's nature on the attack, basically, which is really not something that's too hard to imagine, considering all of the things that are happening with our world and our planet and how we're treating nature. So this seems like a sort of timely book. I don't know if it's climate fiction necessarily because there aren't a ton of details but there's a blurb about it and it's about it follows one person from this village who is living in this world where outside the walls there are these people called the shunned men and Coley is this character who's lived in this village his whole life and He thinks that the first rule of survival is you don't venture far beyond the walls. But then, of course, things are a little bit different than they seem. So I am fascinated and really interested in seeing how this plays out if you want to – get more about the book or get a better feel for it there's also an excerpt included in this article we'll be linking in the show notes and there's definitely like a dialect happening here which I found interesting and I'm curious about like well what is the history of these characters are they supposed to have come from a certain place in our known present world Uh, but I can't tell yet We'll have to find out <laughs> once the book comes out. <laughs> but definitely check out the excerpts.
1: Yeah, I'm a fan of The Girl with All the Gifts, although I haven't read The Boy on the Bridge yet. And I thought it was interesting that they released all three covers at once. Yeah. I don't I th- from I, I was trying to think like the last time I saw somebody do a three book package promotion actually was Area X now that I'm thinking about it. But it was a different publisher. That was FSG and this is Orbit. So I wonder if that's, you know, I don't know. I wonder.
0: Maybe they're just taking a page from that whole thing because it does seem like even like the cover, like all of the cover variations really remind me of those books. Like, Mm -hmm. of course, when there's nature involved, but even like the font and stuff. I don't know. I might be making up design theories (laughs) on the top of my (laughs) head. It's hard because Area X looms so
1: large and like. A plant horror, I guess, is Mm -hmm. the thing I'm going to call it. And this seems similar, so it's hard not to draw comparisons. Um, And the books, yeah, do have a lot of vegetation going on and very simple font work, which is, well, similar at least to the U.S. covers of the area. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I was a little bit surprised that they didn't announce pub dates. Like, if you're going to show me all three covers, like are you not going to tell me all three publication dates? And they don't. So. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what's going on here, but it's interesting. That's all it's I'm going to say about mystery. It's a mystery.
0: Oh, um, actually, they do. Oh, yeah. Do they only give the one, the Book of Coley. The first one is going to be April 14th, 2020. Right. But right. not all of them. Yeah. Yeah. So. a mystery. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe <laughs> they don't. Maybe it's not even the cover is made, but the other ones aren't written. (laughs) Right. right. Which seems like a little, like,
1: ooh, dangerous. But you know what? Live on the edge. It's fine. Um, (laughs) The last story I want to talk about before we switch gears is we've been talking a lot about awards. And lo and behold, yes. there is a new award announced that is not named after a person, although it comes close. <laughs> but uh, in the UK, this is a UK award that is brand new. It's called the Galance and Rivers of London SFF Award. And it's actually in partnership with National Novel Writing Month or NaNoWriMo. And the Rivers of London is a series by author Ben Aranovich, which has been very successful and people have been telling me to read that for forever and uh, one day I will get to them and um, his UK publisher Galance and he have teamed up to do a new award to champion underrepresented writers Um, BAME is a very common uh, UK acronym for Black, Asian and or Minority Ethnic Voices and they are going to provide mentorship opportunities and cash prizes to winning authors from the UK and Ireland And submissions are open now um, until January 31st, 2020. And you do have to be from the UK or Ireland, I believe, to enter. But if you are one of those folks or know somebody who is, you should tell them about it. Because I do appreciate seeing an award that is specifically meant to foster new voices. I mean, lots of awards reward... How do I want to say this? Like a, like people who are doing great work, who are established authors in their mm-hmm. field. Uh, I mean, there are debut author awards all over the place. But I do like that this is specifically to champion... Voices that are already underrepresented. And I guess it doesn't say if you specifically have to have, like, published already or not here in the press release, which I will link to. But there's probably more information on the actual site that you can check out. And, uh, but, yeah, I'm happy to see this. I don't know. What do you think?
0: I think this is great. And let's be real. Like, those cash prizes are going to be really helpful to mm-hmm. some people yeah. who are writing, you know, it's, it's a tough gig. Yeah, and to be able to be rewarded for your work and to be actually seen is a huge thing and I love National Novel Writing Month and this just like solidified my love for them because they do work to promote like real issues and I I'm so glad I was kind of surprised that they were actually I think this is like the first time I've seen them in an initiative like this so I I was just thrilled beyond measure about everything about this news. Yeah. And so definitely if you are out there and you qualify, definitely do this. Yeah, I just double checked and it's it looks like you have
1: you cannot be under contract or previously published by mm. a UK publisher. So if you've been published in other places, that seems to be fine. But yes. Uh so that's interesting. That's interesting. So this is specifically for new voices, which is what I understood to be true and, and it turns out it is. So that's exciting. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. And that's I, even better. I do wish it was named something a little bit different but you know naming a book after a series like okay fine that's fine that's better than a person so
0: it's just a little awkward we'll t- it's a
1: little awkward it, it, it's a very long name and it's a little bit awkward but that's okay because they're gonna hopefully do some good work with this
0: yeah I I'm gonna be looking out for the first winner yeah when it's announced Same. and immediately try to find their work yeah All right. Well, that's it for our news. And it's on to our next sponsor, which is another fabulous author that we have talked about and that we really enjoy. And that is Renée Adier, who is bringing us a book titled The Beautiful. So in 1872 in New Orleans, we've got a city ruled by the dead. 17 year old Celine Rousseau is enraptured by the vibrant city from its music to its fancy soirees and even its danger. She becomes embroiled in the city's glitzy underworld after catching the eye of the group's enigmatic leader, Sebastian Saint Germain. When the body of one of the girls from the convent is found in Sebastian's own lair, the second dead girl to turn up in recent weeks, Celine battles her attraction to Sebastian and suspicions about his guilt, along with the shame of her own horrible secret. Ooh, that sounds so dark and wonderful. <laughs> and. Renee, I think we've talked about a couple of Renee Adier's books. I I think I've talked Mm -hmm. about at least one of them. Flame in the Mist is one I really loved. I'm pretty sure we've talked about The Wrath and the Dawn, which is really popular among a lot of readers and I'm sure a lot of you out there. So I'm always excited to see any new work come from Renee Adier. And she seems like such a prolific writer, which is always impressive to me. So I'm definitely going to pick up this very dark and gothy-sounding book, uh, and I definitely think you should, too, if that sounds like your cup of tea. Again, that was The Beautiful by Renée Adier. And on to our second books in a series. Mm -hmm. Should we give some warning about potential spoilers? I mean, we are talking about—I tried not to give too (laughs) much— away in mine um, and I chose two that are kind of, one of them cannot be read just by itself but the other one can, I don't yeah, know. Yeah,
1: neither of mine can stand alone <laughs> so so I think it is fair to say that I guess if you care a lot about spoilers <laughs> you should perhaps not listen to <laughs> us talk about these maybe what we can do Sharifa <laughs> I don't know even how we would do this. I'm trying to think of like how we could possibly talk about these without talking about spoilers. There's just no way. I just don't know because a couple of the things I want to say are sort of plot specific, but there's also, there's general things we could say. I guess what if we started (laughs) off with a little discussion about what we look for in a second book in a series
0: Ooh, yeah, that's a good idea. Because
1: I was realizing I do have some things that I'm
0: looking for. What are the things you're looking for?
1: So I, what I want to see is I want the world to get bigger. Like I want whatever world was introduced in the first book to expand. I want to see new parts of that world or like new layers to the parts I've already seen. I want to go either out or deeper into the world of the book. And that's also, awesome. and this was an interesting thing that I didn't realize. Like, that's a thing that I'm like, oh yeah, that's that makes total sense. Um, but a thing I realized as I was reading one of my picks was that I actually prefer it when we get new characters. Mm-hmm. Like, when it shifts perspective at least a little bit. It's not that I don't love, because I know I love, you know... The character, If I'm reading the second book in a series, it's because I loved the first one, right? Which includes loving the characters. But I discovered when I was thinking about my two picks that I actually a little bit prefer if I can get a new perspective. Maybe we keep, you know, the original characters and add one or maybe we shift perspectives entirely. But I really love it when a second book gives me a new character to fall in love with.
0: I love that you said that because I am 100% on the same page. And one of my picks is definitely reflective of that and made me realize, especially when you've got like, uh crew of characters or like this entourage that's really interesting and you can tell they all have their own little backstories but Mm -hmm. you can't always get right into you can't talk about everybody all the time in the first book especially if like you're following the progress of a specific main character Mm -hmm. and so i think that that does give you enough new stuff and enough of a new perspective, like a new main perspective, while not really, you're not stepping outside of the world or the situations that you've, you've come to know and love or be stressed out about. (laughs) So much stress. Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. Yes. So I, I agree with that. And sometimes I think I don't necessarily come to the second book with hopes for what it'll be so much as trepidations about especially yeah. if I know there's it's a trilogy mm-hmm. because there is sometimes where the middle book feels very like well nothing really happens sometimes that happens sometimes not so much but I'm always I always think like oh no is this going to be like one of those second books where Like There's a little bit of character development, but there's not going to be any real progress on the plot that will even answer what happened on that cliffhanger in the first book. Right, right. It's all just
1: set up for book three. Yeah, Yeah, that is, I think, a very, I think it's a really difficult problem for writers and definitely I think some people do a better job of it than others. And but I don't envy writers, those issues like it is. I just don't even know how you defeat that second book slump. Like, it's really (sighs) rough. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. But many do, thankfully. And I super appreciate that. Um, And I guess I'll just say then that, like, if that's all you're going to listen to because you don't want spoilers, then I highly recommend Both of my picks, which will be in the show notes, but I'll also just say them right now. Um, Binary by Stephanie Salter, which is the second book in the Revolution series, and The Dragon Republic by R.F. Kuang, which is the second book in the Poppy War series. Okay, so maybe we can get into our books yes. now. Do you want to kick us off? Sure, sure. So I'll talk about my sci fi pick first, and it is Binary, like I said, by Stephanie Salter. This series, I feel like, is so underread. Like, I know almost nobody else. I don't actually know if I know anybody else who's read them. Oh, wow. I might be the only person I know personally who has read them, even though I keep being like, you know what, you should read. Like, I have blatantly <laughs> shoved these books at people, and nobody, to my knowledge, has yet taken me on it. So it's very frustrating. Somebody read these. I love them so much. Um, It's a really interesting series that takes place in a alternate version of our world in a future in which mankind was almost wiped out by a plague, like a flu-like plague. And the way that humanity survived was that scientists figured out how to like, bioengineer people to have stronger immune systems. So basically every human in the world has been like tinkered with scientifically because that's how we have survived. But in the course of figuring out how to do that, they also figured how to make a lot of other changes to... The genetic code. And what they started doing is that corporations started engineering their own specific workers to like very specific niche jobs. So like, let's say you do a lot of underwater work, and you don't want to pay for suits for your workers, you just engineer workers who don't need a suit underwater. Or you engineer a person who has like infrared vision, or, you know, really exceptional hearing or super strong, like, corporations started engineering their workers, and treated them as property. And so the first book in this series, which is called Gem Sign, is all about the fight for those workers to be recognized literally as people, like to achieve personhood and to be appreciated as and understood to be independent persons. And it's really intense. It's really amazing. And it definitely gets into marginalization and racism. And, you know, like, there's issues of mental health and homophobia and all kinds of stuff comes up, um, both like literally and metaphorically in this in this uh, scenario. And it's really interesting. And the stakes are so high on that first one. And I just I was just like, Oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Like, this is incredible. Um, And it is a really interesting alternate vision of the future that Salter has created here. So so here's where this Spoiler start. So in this, in the end of the first one, they have won, although it has not been simple. Um, the big baddie, who is this like you know ruthless industrialist woman named Zavka Klist, uh, has sort of been defeated, and you know they've they've been recognized as like people with human rights. And so in the second one. You switch perspectives, hot ta-da! Which is a thing that I love. You <laughs> still get some of the really great characters from the first one, but you get new people, which I loved, and a whole new plot. Like it is, it is a whole new plot line, um, and it's not just like set up for book three. Although obviously the events of this one do set up book three, but like it is within itself a self-contained plot, and it's kind of like a high steam mystery. Um, the one of the main characters is a like a police inspector Sharon Varsi, who has to track down whoever stole some confiscated genetic stock out of a government quarantine and there's like a mysterious hacker doing all kinds of stuff and there's new black market technology that people are going to use to engineer other people and not only do you have this like who done it but then you go deeper into like How did humanity, you know, come out of that plague? And how did some of these uh, more more visibly, differently genetically engineered people come to be? Like, what led to their birth and creation? And it's really interesting. So you get, and you get this whole new layer of look at the big bad from book one, which is super interesting because I love like an antagonist primary character, right? Like I love (laughs) to dig more into the baddie. So, and that this book does that in a really fascinating way. And it was just like, I could not have asked for a better second book in this series. And then the third one jumps forward in time even more. And you get like, again, whole new characters and a whole new plot line. And what I love about this is that these books feel like dominoes, right? Like the first one has to fall to get you to the second one. And then the second one has to fall to get you to the third one. But they all are very distinct and stand on their own. So like, I guess you could theoretically read these just as standalones, but you're going to miss out on this beautiful domino effect and these fantastic characters and all of their character development. I just really love this series y'all somebody else read it Um, so again it's the revolution series by Stephanie Salter and book two is called Binary get
0: it book two
1: Binary that's
0: awesome I'm so scared now I have to go pick up that book. <laughs> uh, I
1: think <laughs> It sounds fantastic. You know what I think she does, too, is that because, even though this can get really dark and there are some like there's some graphic violence on the page, they feel so hopeful and like they have some really nice light touches. So you don't feel super bogged down by it.
0: Yeah, and I love a big baddie too. So yeah, I've gotta I've gotta do it for that reason alone. Mm-hmm. And speaking of baddies, yes, <laughs> my science fiction pick is not your villain by C. B. Lee, and this one definitely this is the one that I I read because of this episode. It returned me to one of my favorite worlds and casts of characters, and it's very similar to yours in that. Uh, You could sort of read it as a standalone because it follows a different character. So first of all, I talked about the first book in the series, Not Your Sidekick, which I loved, loved, loved. And today I'm moving on to talk about the second book, which is Not Your Villain. And the nice thing about this one is that it does follow a different character. And that helped me to sort of avoid some spoilage, but... (laughs) It is definitely, this follows one of Jess Tran's friends. uh, Jess Tran being the main character of the first book. But there are definitely first book spoilers in the second book. And you might not get the context for everything that happens. And everything that's said in this one if you don't pick up Not Your Sidekick first. So all that said... Uh, The book follows Bells, who's one of the group of kids at the center of this series. Bells was one of my favorite side characters from the first book, not just because he can change his hair color at will, but that is a super cool power. But I was really happy to get more of his story. So when we meet Bells, it's, it's really apparent that he has this secret that he's been keeping from everyone except for his family. And it gives him a lot of grief to know he can't be completely honest with his friends because they're super tight-knit. They tell each other everything. And they're like family to him. But then if his secret does get out and if everyone knew exactly what he was up to, he could be jeopardizing his family and their business. And getting them into real, real trouble. So Bells has this superpower. And moreover, he has shape-shifting powers. And his powers were not born in the usual way, which makes him an anomaly and a potential test subject. So just think about, like, you know, the way the government would treat anybody with, like, some anomalous scientific thing that could be tested for that is exactly what is what he sees in his future if he lets this go so to preface bell's conundrum the story is set in this futuristic world it's largely been redesigned around this big event that everybody you know talks about as if you know of course it happened a long time ago so it's just a part of their history and this event gave some people a few people superpowers. And there's this whole organization set up to recruit and train these potential superheroes. And where there are superheroes, of course, there are villains. And those are just, you know, people with superhuman abilities who go rogue, just like any other superhero comic you might read. And Bells is on his way to this academy to train as a superhero and join this very exclusive league. But as part of the league, he can expect you know fame glory and even comic books of course written about him and this is a really <laughs> big part of the story It's just like everybody wants to have a comic book written about them and to be cast the certain light um, as a superhero but first he has to pass this test and he has to do it all under an alias so nobody will find out the truth about his powers and who he actually is but then when bells finally achieves what he wants everything goes sour And the League isn't quite the agency he thought it was. And he learns some secrets about what's been going on between heroes and villains from his friends, who obviously also have some secrets. And Bells ends up becoming this target. So he's villainized and trolled. But he still has his friends. And so the sidekick squad is born. (laughs) And they go on the attack on this rescue mission. And mission to really uh, reveal the truth about the Heroes League of Heroes so coming back to this series it just reminded me why I loved the first book so much it's just so fun and so action-packed and adorable and the team really is squad goals in the way they support each other and have each other's backs it's kind of like the Incredibles and I think I talked about this with the first book but it's way more inclusive and the family is a found one made up of kids, some of whom are superpowered by the event, and some who lend skills in areas we all have access to, like, you know, intellect and strategy and empathy. And it tackles some big issues like the unethical use of torture, for instance, and the way stories are spun in media, but it's also really feel good, and I feel like I approached stories about brown and queer kids with supportive families and friend groups like some sort of thirsty traveler in the desert yeah. approaching a lake so I'm always really excited to pick up these stories and C.B. Lee is so amazing at telling them from the world building to the character development and the revealing of secrets is just so satisfying in so many ways and again that was Not Your Villain the second book in the sidekick squad series by C.B. Lee
1: love that series and I do I haven't read anything past the first one yet I I know but I it's good it's good now I'm excited too and that's the whole point of this exactly (laughs) okay so this is gonna be spoiler-tastic I'm sorry not sorry but yeah so my second my fantasy pick is the Dragon Republic by RF Kuang which is the second book in the Poppy War which we talked about a lot on this show Mm. And if this is as far as you're going to listen, because you don't like spoilers, I will just say, pick it up. I will also just say, it's it, it cracked me up when I first picked it up that the quote on the front just says, brace yourself, like, from <laughs> Fonda Lee. And then I started reading oh, wow. and I was like, oh, that's correct. Like, yes, <laughs> these are the correct words to warn people with. Like, you really, it ups, I don't even know how you get a higher auntie than the poppy war but somehow you do and this is it is violent it is very triggering in all of the ways that go with war so torture violence genocide like assault against women sexual assault oh it's just it's a lot y'all it's a lot but it was really good and you know what it didn't do is give me any new perspectives actually like you're you're in Rin's head the whole time just like you were in the poppy war and I as I was reading it and I don't remember having this thought when I was reading the first one but I can't it could have been there uh, like the seed of this could have been there but as I was reading the dragon public I was like you know what I don't like her. <laughs> like oh, like no. yeah, no, and not in a way that made me want to put down the book though. I was just realizing, like, you know, there are just characters who you like want to be their friends. Even if they're terrible mm-hmm. sometimes, you still are like, Oh, I get you, like you're terrible, but I get you. Like I would be friends with you. I would have a beer with you or like go on a journey with you. Like I if I met Ren in real life, I would not Want to be anywhere near her, like ever. <laughs> she just is so. Ah, I don't even know. Like I, <laughs> like I don't even know the words to say. Our, our personalities would not click. Let's just put it that way. But, but she's so compelling. Is what is so smart and so amazing about the way these books have been done. Even if you don't like her, and even if every choice she makes, you're like, oh, my God, why? Like, why are you doing this again? Why are you doing this thing? Don't do this thing. Don't trust this person. What are you doing? Don't hurt that person. Like, what are you doing? You (laughs) just can't help but be compelled by her situation and her reasoning, even if, again, you just can't even, like, approach agreement with it, it just is all so... It feels so inevitable the way that Kwang has drawn her. And you're just like, I see you. Like, I see you. I hate it, but I see you. And this is really hard because, you know, at the end of the first book, she has literally committed genocide against another person. And I'm sure the question... That Kwang was asking herself as she's writing is like, how do you make that sympathetic? Like, how do you take a person who has committed a war crime on that magnitude and then keep talking about them and put the reader in their heads and keep the reader moving forward with that character? And she does it, which is bananas. Like, this series is bananas in so many ways. And She's also, in the same way that she tackled you know, colorism and class divides and then the um, Sino-Japanese War in the Poppy War, now she's looking at Western colonialism in particular in this one. And so you have this uh, Hesperia is what it's called. In um, the Dragon Republic, and it could easily be like Britain or France. I couldn't decide which one it was, but it could. It's a a European, you know, a white European Mm. nation meddling in the politics of Nikara, uh, of Nikon, excuse me, the people are called Nikara. And, you know, the, the whole empire is in a shambles and Rin has done this horrible thing and is basically drugging herself constantly because she doesn't, she doesn't know how to live with herself. Like she doesn't know how to continue to be a person after the thing that she's done, even though she still feels like it was justifiable. Uh, And so she is being wooed by a warlord who wants to, you know, conquer Nikon uh, for himself and overthrow the emperor and uh, the empress rather. And she's, he says she, he's going to institute a democracy, which sounds great. And he talks a good game. And so she, you know, joins forces with him and then proceeds to uh, discover like exactly how much farther everything can get effed up, which is a lot. It turns out you wouldn't think. And yet it is. And I think what made this so tough to read, but also so compelling, is that you're still reckoning with the after effects of the battles of the first book, of which there are a lot. I mean, it's a horrific battle series of battles. It's a horrific war that these characters have experienced. It's not really over yet. It feels like it's over and then it's not. And Rin is out for vengeance and also just trying to learn how to live with herself and the character dynamics are really complicated and she's also, you know, carrying this god around inside her who wants to take control over her and so she will lose herself entirely and there's so much happening here and there is a really intense plot line that is absolutely not just a setup for anything that comes next it is its own really intense story arc and i was just like i had to take breaks while reading this book <laughs> cuz it's it's so much it's so dark it's so dark it's a lot Um, But I just it is also masterfully done in that, like some books get too dark for me and I just put them down and don't go back. And I kept coming back to this, even though it was so dark. And I just find it sort of astonishing that Kwang is writing this compellingly enough that I can't stop reading it. It's as like, I like, how dare you <laughs> subject <laughs> me to this, but also it's my own fault because I'm, I'm the one who keeps reading. Uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm still struggling to find exactly the way to talk about this book in this series because it is so intense and so dark, but also so compelling and, just sort of unputdownable in that she's taking on such serious topics and really not letting you look away at any moment from any of it. So it's, yeah, it's really intense. I feel like these books... Are going to be read for years. I really do think so. I mean, I just am so curious what she's going to where she's going to go with this and and how and she's blending, you know, these real world, um, real historical events, you know, into as, as the inspiration for this fantastical world. And 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 the world did get bigger this time, right? Like we've we've now got these you know sort of European esque colonial issues going on, and I'm like, where's it going to go next? Because it definitely feels like it's going to keep getting bigger. So I yeah, I just am sort of stunned by this book, and definitely going to be looking out for the third one. Wow. <laughs> How on earth do I even follow? What was the title again? Oh, yes. Sorry. That's The Dragon Republic by R.F. RF Kwong. And that is the second book in the Poppy War series. There's no way to follow. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yours will be a nice breath of fresh air. A relief, as it will. Let's talk about,
0: let's, let's, let's talk about Yes. <laughs> so, okay. Unlike my science fiction pick, you can probably read this fantasy series out of order because I'm returning to Discworld, my beloved universe, and I'm talking about the Tiffany Aching series within the Discworld new uni- universe, and... The second book in that series is A Hat Full of Sky, which I did indeed read first instead of the actual first book because I didn't realize that the We Free Men was the first book in the series. I don't know what was going on. I must have been having, like, a few martinis or something. (laughs) But somehow I did not know. And the first book in the series was set in Tiffany's hometown, which is Chalk Country. But when I met Tiffany, she was leaving her home to apprentice with an older witch who's acting as her mentor. And as Tiffany's on her way to meet her new teacher, something really sudden and terrible happens. And you're like, wait, what? What happened? And she doesn't even know it. And it's a moment in time that sort of goes missed. And so she goes on her merry or you know, rather pragmatic way because she is not necessarily what you would call merry. So Tiffany's in this new town. She's training under Miss level. And what I love about this book is that you meet so many different types of witches from the other books as well with so many different priorities. So she meets this totally goth girl anagramma who fixates on all the tchotchke that comes with being a witch, like, you know, the jewelry, the pointy hat, everything you would find in like a trendy occult shop these days, and the clothing and things like that. So it's obvious that Tiffany doesn't really fit in with Anagramma's clique. And that Tiffany doesn't fit into this materialistic sort of clique is normal. But other things about Tiffany's behavior is less so. So she's acting really irrationally, which is not her thing. And thankfully, and perhaps annoyingly, one of the members of the NACMAC Fiegel, who first met Tiffany in The Wee Free Men, shows up to help her get through it. And Tiffany sets off to face down this thing that's plaguing her. And in the process, she gets to know none other than my fave, Granny Weatherwax. And she gains some real insights about what it means to be a witch and how helping other people plays a big part in the path of the witch. So I don't think I have to tell you how I feel about this book. I have blubbered about (laughs) the series once or twice. And it's quite possibly one of my favorite in the whole wide world. But you know, those are big words, but probably. So, like many of Terry Ratchet's books, it's the perfect blend of comical, philosophical, and thoughtful. He always finds a way to get this, like, a message in about humanity and as i've said before he seems even more purposeful about that with the series because it was written with young readers in mind he did not call it YA but he said it was written with young readers in mind so i don't know if i haven't already convinced you or you haven't picked it up of your own accord i cannot rec- recommend the tiffany aching series enough apparently and <laughs> yeah so i've been talking about the second book A Hat Full of Sky by Terry Pratchett within the Tiffany Aching series. Woo. How? (laughs) (laughs) This was like an intense show, but that's it for us. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you all for listening. And you can email us at as usual at sffyat at bookriot.com. And please do review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find us. We love to hear from you wherever you're talking to us. You can find us online. Where can they find you, Jen?
1: I am on Twitter as Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, IRL, and Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And if you've read that Stephanie Salter series, hit me up. <laughs> Let's
0: talk. Please satisfy Jen. <laughs> and you can find me on Instagram at S-Sign of Williams. That's S-C-A-I-N-A-B Williams. And until next time, happy reading.
1: Happy reading.